Get room. Shahad! 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 It's all right, General. It's only me. Oh, oh. From over the sea. Now, cool down. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Abner. Oh. It's oh. all right. It's liable to happen now. Oh, that's better. Yes, listen. Oh. And? <laughs> the Admiral just told me a very odd story. Yes? About a witch doctor who reads the Sunday Times. <laughs> Isn't that extraordinary? Yes. Fantastic, fantastic. Welcome to Goon Pod, the podcast about the Goon Show and the Goons themselves. Uh, now, this week I am joined by Martin Holmes. Hello, uh, hello, Martin. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very well, Martin. Now, thank you for joining me. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, you're kind of a bit like me. Um, you are involved in many podcasts or podcast type projects. More than um, is healthy, it, yes, I think so. Yeah, but it's but it's it's something that you've kind of come to relatively recently. Is that right? Uh, last couple of years, yeah. I uh, for various reasons, I got I, uh, I my career as a as a working graphic designer ended, and I've been doing some uh, contributions to. I, I think you've had them on as guests before, uh, Andrew and Lisa's podcast for a couple of years, and yeah. uh, at that point, I I taught myself how to sound edit. And went off and uh, uh, started doing podcasting. I've been doing podcasting with Andy Parisian. And he um, and I did a, a television uh, podcast, which was an A to Z of UK TV drama. So it wasn't really comedy or anything. It was it was you know, the serious stuff. And we did it very grown up. And since then, yeah. we've been also doing a very silly one about Flash Gordon. And then about a year, about a year ago, just over a year ago, I... I answered an ad or an answered a request for shows on an internet internet radio channel. They wanted ideas for new shows, and I sort of said, "Oh, it'd be great if you did something about archive telly." And they went, "Well, come and do it for us." And I went, "Oh, I thought they called my bluff." Because, <laughs> uh, I wasn't really expecting <laughs> them to say, "Yes, you do it." I was rather expecting to say, "That's a good idea. Let's find some people to do that." Um, anyway, so... and and and, uh, and pay you for the idea, of course. Pay your hands. Uh, <laughs> no one pays me for anything. I mean, this, this is podcasting, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So I, I, I've been doing a show on uh, Fab Radio International, which is about, well, we take uh, archive television as our starting point. We don't necessarily end up talking about that all the time. I mean, if someone, you know, says, oh, yes, I watched a program about this and then wants to talk about completely different subject for the next the rest of the hour. We'll do that. I'm not yeah, I'm not absolutely that tied to it. I think I think you sometimes you, these things are a prompt. And it's interesting because uh, when you when you talk about the goon pod, it's the same thing sometimes. You know, mm. it doesn't have to be a huge element of what you're talking about, but it, no. it sort of is is a way in. And I, and I quite like that. I quite like that, that, you know, you're just chatting with somebody and they go, oh, yeah, well, my dad used to like this. And then, you know, oh, and of course, my dad yeah. went off and, you know, and, and suddenly it, it just becomes a different conversation. I think that's a fascinating 
and that makes that makes for fascinating listening. I mean, I'm not sure anybody else thinks that, but but I mean, that's you know, that's why yeah. me and me and the three people who listen to it sort of have a very intimate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got five. Oh, well done! You see, <laughs> man, you've been around longer than I have. You see, oh yeah, that's building an audience, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're you're absolutely right. I like the fact that you know, we yes, we take the goons as a starting point, and and usually we we very often branch off into different you know onto different topics and mm. um but we tend to get you know eventually circle back to the goons or mm. to you know whatever the subject may be be it peter sellers or milligan or seekham mm. but or <laughs> Bente- absolutely yeah Bentine. uh but the thing is that i'm conscious i don't want it to be one of these uh, sorry to to kind of start mm. talking about me Martin, but uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to fill that I... running time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we neither of us have done any research. So we're going to say like that we stare at our toes for an hour. You know, I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm always, I was always thinking, I don't want the podcast, my podcast to be just g- talking about, for example, um, a goon show, let's say the Nadja plague where we where myself and a guest talk about uh, each scene as it mm. were, uh, in a linear fashion yeah. and then share some jokes uh, and do a few funny voices. God help us. I wouldn't be ah. straying into that territory. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want it to be that. I want it to be, you know, it's, have the goons as a starting point. And, um, and it's, it's thrown up some really fascinating stuff. You know, we've, I've had guests on where we've, you know, we've, we've talked for the best part of half an hour about, mm. for example, uh, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so absolutely. So with your, with your show, which is vision on sound, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, so you, you take as a starting point, a particular sort of slice of what, archive telly or, or some, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, something like we, that. Sometimes I literally just bring somebody up and say, what are your first memories of television? And we go from there. Other times okay. we actually, you know, someone says, Oh, I'd like to talk about this. And I go, right. And, and that's, they're great ones. Cause I, most of the hour, I just sit there going, Hmm, really? Wow. <laughs> well, talk, Which is fabulous talking, for me. <laughs> absolutely. Talking about um, what, are, what are your first memories of old telly? Just um, just on that, when I had Andrew and Lisa on, um, at, at one point, Andrew almost had to go and change his trousers because I, I told him something that just absolutely flipped his wig, uh-huh. uh, which is that I am very certain now i wasn't when i spoke to him i wasn't so certain mm. but I've, I've subsequently done a little bit of extra research i'm very certain that i've seen the gnomes of dulwich right does uh, he know where was... you live he will be coming and sucking out your brain to get those memories you do know that. Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah he, he he kind of hinted at that um <laughs> I, I saw it i saw it when i was very little when i was growing up in uh, new zealand um right. in, the, in the late 70s because it was shown in the late 70s early 80s so that's one of my earliest memories of TV is um, Gnomes of Dulwich. That he, uh, he is desperate to see. I know it's, <laughs> it's, it's weird, isn't it? And it's astonishing, really, because to me, I always think of these things as being terribly British, terribly almost parochial, you know, things like the Goon Show. And yet they went, you know, across the world. They went yes. you know, all corners of the globe. I, mean, I know that certainly uh, Australia and New Zealand were both, you know, big buyers of British television because they had a large, well, I suppose it's not, by that stage, it's not expat community, but it's, you know, people who have yeah. connections with, with Britain. So these things were enormous over there. And you forget that because you just sort of think, I'm half a world away. Why is there a poster of Tony Hancock on the wall? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I do sort of read quite a lot about is 
is about the the strangely enough fifties fifties uh, comedy is is one of those things uh, you know they bring out a new book I'm on it you know I want that and <laughs> and yeah. it is fascinating how much how many of them had you know were spending so much of their time in Australia mm. you know, producing completely s- separate. Uh, television productions and things like that but were enormous uh, over there even several years after they may have gone out slightly out of fashion over on, on this side of the world and it is oh, yeah it was a different world that the, you know the, certainly the bbc was broadcasting to the world the world service or whatever and these things were just everywhere well the thing is it, particularly in australia because yeah you're right the likes of John Inman went out to Australia and made a, an Australian version of Are You Being Served? Mr. Humphreys, are you free? I'm free. Forward, please. Mind the door. What? Are you being served, sir? I'm Humphreys and I'm free. Are you being served, sir? What would you like to see? If you'd like some swimming trunks, we've got them plain or spotty. We've also got some see-through that really tan your... Beachwear. Oh, these are gay. There's plenty round the back. And if you'd like a bit of flash, then try a plastic mag. Whoops! Are you being so I'm Humphreys and I'm free. Don't forget to come and visit us. Goodbye, Mr. Magabus. I hate to see him leave. I think I'm going to cry. Well, I don't know what all the fuss is about. He's only going upstairs while Mr. Dunkley's on his long service leave. Oh, but I just hate to see him go. It's so sad. Oh, and look, he's left his farewell cake. Mm, he's left his teeth marks and he's banned. Oh. <laughs> is it called Are You Being Served Mate, by any chance? <laughs> G'day. What do you want? <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm available. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, maybe not. I can't even do an Australian accent anymore. Um, <laughs> as I've just demonstrated. Who was that Greek gentleman who just walked in the room? Yes, no. Uh, Patrick Cargill. Patrick Cargill. I've, I've seen an Australian sitcom with Patrick Cargill, uh, and I think it's a it's kind of an Australian version of Father, Dear Father. I mean, again, mm. those, those LWT and Thames uh, comedies, because I, mean, I, I, I do feel that a lot of the ones that got most exported were the sort of London-centric ones to a certain extent. Even, even uh, you know, Love Thy Neighbour and things sort yeah. of got over there. And yeah. sometimes I think, actually, even when they'd sort of gone out of fashion as a style over here, I, I hesitate to suggest that other parts of the world were slightly slower in adapting to a new way of thinking about the world. But it certainly feels that something like Love Thy Neighbour, which had stopped being made over here because it was felt <clears throat> made people uncomfortable, was, they could go over there and make a new version of it, sort of a few years after the fact. It impresses me that these things, you know, could find that target audience. And I do wonder whether actually the Australian market specifically was very much more, because of the, you know the large English-speaking community, it just was more open to those things. Because generally speaking, I mean, I've not experienced life over there. I don't. I've never been to Australia, but this sense that everybody gets referred to as poms or and, and we're all a bit weird and everything like that but they loved our television and we loved our radio so you know well that's the thing because the the, the australians were all about the goodies mm. uh, certainly in the 80s um and when i was growing up in in new zealand in the 80s the goodies were always being repeated which mm. is more than you can say for this country yes indeed. uh 
And The Goon Show, likewise. The Goon Show was played on uh, Australian ABC radio on a weekly basis. It may well still still be to this day. I don't know, but it certainly was when I was uh, mm. living in the Antipodes. And and likewise, in uh, in my country, it was played weekly on the radio. Uh, and it was, whereas again, again, you know, you had to search long and hard to to find uh, Goon Show repeats on the likes of Radio 2, Radio 4 in this yeah, country. this is it. Uh, things can go very much out of fashion here. I mean, this is again mm. when you get into archive telly, how stuff turns up in vaults that people think is lost forever. And it turns up in the in a back room of somewhere in the wilds of the outback because everyone's forgotten that, it, you know, that it was actually running sort of 15 years ago over there. You know, it, it's, yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah, it is. I mean, you do wonder, actually, in, in, because of those international sales, why so much, for example, Hancock's Half Hour is missing. If Because it was, you know, you would think it went to all corners of the globe and presumably yeah. it wasn't the same tape being passed around. Maybe it was. But it, you just get the impression that there were copies and copies and copies and somebody <laughs> in, a, in a shed somewhere must have thought, oh, I like this tiny Hancock bloke. And Oh, jeez. <laughs> Who was that oh, one wow. who came in then? <laughs> <laughs> and so on. You, you know how another thing is we would get, particularly in well, I, I can really only speak for New Zealand in the mm. in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, celebrities, British celebrities mainly yes. coming over to do things like what we used to have, these regular telethons, fundraiser things. Mm. And um, you'd have these uh, celebrities and and they would, you know, if we reach a certain figure by you know 11 o'clock tonight then uh chris quentin from coronation street is going to break dance <laughs> you know yeah. um we had um yeah we'd get people like ernie wise uh john edmund was a regular david bellamy right. and also um the, the mp who uh remember austin mitchell oh yeah mm. he was a regular anyway listen We've strayed completely off. We the, waffled, the, the, yes. <laughs> we've, in fact, we've not even got to the topic. No. Um, because, yes, you know, uh, we are here today, the two of us, to talk about, ostensibly to talk about the goons and, mm. and your, shall we say, your limited exposure to the goons. Because mm. you and I obviously have spoken before and, and you've said to me that uh, although, you, you know, you, you'd like the goons, you, they've never been a huge part of your life. It's interesting that when you say it's not been a huge part, I don't, I don't have the CDs on a rack in front of me. I don't have you know all the all the available episodes in front of me at all. So you know, I, it's it's one of those things that it's sort of should we say seeped into my life, and it it's sort of everywhere. But I wouldn't necessarily say that that meant I wanted you know to to go and seek it out in a in a big way. The the interesting thing to me. And it genuinely does interest me. Is I think the Goon Show has been one of those things that's, or the Goons, or the actors who were the Goons, has been part of my life since the year dot. But I don't really quite, I can't quite work out why it is there. You know, I absolutely, as I, as I said earlier, I I am really fascinated by fifties radio and fifties radio comedy and. I don't know where that interest came from, but certainly The Goon Show must have been part of that. Um, I was born in 1964, which is, you know, quite a large... I mean, the Goons were not in their heyday in 1964, by any stretch of the imagination. No. And I don't genuinely think we were much of a radio family. 
again, I don't really remember the telly being on a lot, but I, I have become one of those children of television, if you like, and I've become yeah. one of those people who absorbed television from a very early age. I don't really remember my mum and dad being you know, radio fans. Equally, mm-hmm. equally, this strange sort of flip side of that is I do remember every Saturday or every weekend breakfast we would have Junior Choice on. And Ed Stewart uh, used to do it, so it would have been the 70s. And quite often the Ying Tong song would come on because it always seemed to be those popular family favourites. And it used to be, obviously, the kids always say, let's have the Ying Tong song, mummy. <laughs> and so they would write their request in and Ed Stewart, ah, once again, Ying Tong, you like. And, you know, and all that. So there was a perception, if you like, that this thing existed. It's funny, when I was, I was doing a little bit of research for this show, I, I found um, I found my copy, or I think it was my sister's copy, of A Dustbin of Milligan, the tandem paperback, uh, which oh, is right. a collection mm. of writings uh, of uh, Spike Milligan. And there's that, I, I'm going to read it. I know I, you've probably nobody who listens to this won't have heard the uh, poem "Rain," but there are holes in the sky where the rain gets in, but they're ever so small. That's why rain is thin, which mm. would have been spoken much better by Spike Milligan himself but there we go um, <laughs> and it's just I love that four lines and it it's absurd but wonderful so I've, I've come into I've come into language and I think I came into language that my love of absurd language or language going off in strange tangents by having that paperback on my shelf presumably for about the age of 10 you know can, can I just tell you something, actually? Because mm, it's just, yes, this has just literally entered my head because you said Dustin of Milligan. I'm not sure if this is is from that, but my um, I've got two children. Mm-hmm. And when my first child, my son, was born in 2006, um, I remember sitting in the hospital with him in his little cot, mm-hmm. just being born. This, you know, this is going to bring a tear to your eye, Martin. Oh. So, you know, have a, have a Kleenex ready. Um, but, but I remember, no, I remember sitting sort of staring down at this child that, you know, we'd created. Um, and someone had given us a book, a baby's first year or first hmm. month's book or something where you could just write down random thoughts or ideas or whatever. And I don't know what possessed me, but I, I got a pen and I opened this book and I wrote this um I wrote, my, my darling, my darling little baby, I wonder what you'll grow up to be, Prime Minister of England or the King of Italy. I waited 30 years just to see what he would be. He's now a dustman in Chiswick. Oh, dairy, dairy me. Now, I've got that wrong. I've, some of the, some of the, that's just, you know, I'm yeah. just sort of remembering that roughly. Yeah. But that's obviously a Milligan uh, poem, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I remember that, that I, I've yeah. not thought of that since that day. Actually, I was just sat there watching this this tiny little human being, and that Milligan poem just popped into my head, and I I just had to put it down on paper. Um, it, it is amazing, isn't it? And that's the thing. I I think the the fascinating thing about the Goon show is it it had its own language. It had its own universe really but these things have seeped into the world you know and certainly the language of Milligan because he obviously did keep on writing after the goon show uh, and this the poetry and and all his writing really is kind of it is part of the the heartbeat of the nation the the the, the, the pulse if you like because 
they were so powerful and they and they they sort of got to so many people it's weird actually looking at this the contents for a, a dustbin here now uh you know letters to harry seacombe would have possibly made me think hold on there's a connection here uh but my, my father died uh, when i was well i was 21 so 35 years ago now 36 years ago and uh harry seacombe died long after that but my sister was actually very upset when Harry Seacombe died because she always said he reminded her of my dad. It was possibly the, the fact that they were both Welsh, they were both slightly chubby, you know, <laughs> chubby yep. little Welshman. Um, yep. <laughs> and and so there, there was a sort of ma uh, family connection there between Seacombe, if you like. I mean, not, not one that he ever knew about, but there was one where we... Uh, having lost my father, we, we sort of, there was a Harry Seacombe in the world, so we sort of kind of felt a connection, even now he's, every time that came on the television, or he came on the television, we would we would still sort of have a memory of my father, if you see what I mean. I know that's yeah. probably bizarre, but I know that quite a lot of people's memories of people they've lost sometimes come from, they remember watching a show together or listening mm. to a show together. Absolutely. And, yep. Or reading a book or, you know, being read poetry or whatever. It's amazing, actually, when it comes to loss like that, actually what triggers a memory. And quite often it's strange, strange things like radio shows like The Goons, you know. I mean, you mm. can you can hear an episode out of the blue and think, oh, God, I remember my dad said this or my mum said that. And suddenly you're in, you're transported back to a time when things were different and people were there. And I think that's a very precious thing that radio and television, but any kind of um, shared creative moment, if you like, shared creative uh, product, not like to use the word product, but brings mm. people together in a, in a strange and peculiar way. You know? I mean, how many actual episodes of the Goon Show were there? I mean, I was trying to find out this morning because I was thinking um, well, there must be a there must be a complete box set somewhere I can pick up for, for a fiver. <laughs> oh wow, well now uh, there, there was about in total there was about two hundred and forty odd. Yeah, over um, eight years, isn't it? it was... Over yeah, fifty one to sixty. Yeah, um, and the first four series, most of the first four series are lost. Mm. Um, there's probably about in total. Mm, maybe 10, maybe a dozen, uh, either full shows or fragments mm. of shows prior to Series 5 that exist. Mm. Well, he was writing like a demon for about eight years, wasn't he? That's the thing, you know. But, he, you know, he would, he would and, and they did remake some shows, mm. some of the earlier shows they remade so, towards the end of the 50s. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of the time he was he was there, you know, having to write a new show every week. Very often, you know, he, he was being ably assisted by the likes of Larry Stevens. Mm. Uh, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Spike, it was on Spike's shoulders that he mm. had to come up with 30 minutes of funny material. Uh, well, let's say, OK, let's say maybe you're 24 minutes if you if you don't include the musical breaks and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but but essentially he was having to come up with half an hour of gags um, and, and, and some some sort of linking plot every week for, for 26 weeks were, a year yeah 26 half a year it wasn't like yeah. you could write six and then go off and sit on your island for a, from three months you know it was this was half a year i mean it's again it, it's interesting to me that i mean i've i could say part of this whole goon connection thing is i've read quite a lot of stuff about the uh you know goldman simpson and eric sykes you know and yeah. them all all being in this one building together 
churning out scripts for basically everybody <laughs> and all yes. those comedy connections that seemed to go through that one doorway of the uh, the offices they were in mm. and mm -hmm. upstairs there's this this want of a better word there's this madman in the attic who's who's basically having breakdowns and trying to hit because he's yeah i mean i know i know like you've said there, there is assistance but he's taking a lot of the burden of the show on himself and yet the creative spark that's coming out of that is astounding. Uh, in preparation for this this morning, I did listen to the uh, one of the CDs I have, which is the, the Goons at Christmas, which is four episodes, which is Ye Bandit of Sherwood Forest. Okay, yeah. The Mighty Wurlitzer, the Operation Christmas Duff and A Christmas Carol. Ah, and I, I yeah. was listening to those this morning again, you know. Uh, so I'm feeling very seasonal today. I should have jingle bells on my hat <laughs> and things. And what astonished me just listening to them back to back like that is because they would be over presumably four or five different Christmases is how many running gags there were. And mm. but also the amount of stuff. I mean, you you listen to these things and these guys, the three of them at that stage, I know Benteen's already gone off and gone to his square world and all those yeah. wonderful other flights mm. of fancy. I, I imagine that the, the clash of minds would have been it would have been too much because yeah, his his brain was also sort of boiling full of ideas as well but if, if you've got one guy who really feels it's his thing it must be very difficult to even take that stuff on board i mean i don't know how much of that went on but what gets me about the when you get these three people they obviously get on very well or at least if they didn't get on very well they're doing a very good job of pretending mm. that they get on very well and so some of the stuff the ad libs i assume they must be ad libs the stuff where it's suddenly an aside i mean you hear them chuckling away in yeah. on the microphone <laughs> and it's marvelous it's a marvelous it's like these three guys have got this world that they've created that they don't care whether nobody else understands it, but it's just this phenomenal in-jokes that they understand. It. It's almost like they could finish each other's sentences, and mm -hmm. it's just breathtaking to listen to. It really is. It is. It's And could you imagine it without Harry? Because Harry's there well, in the middle. And the glue. Ha ha yes. Yeah, Harry is the glue. And... And if Harry wasn't there, I think one of them would fall out with the other one or whatever, or mm. one of them would look at the other one in a funny, funny way. And, you know, you've got Harry there, who's who's the calming influence. He's the centre of the show. Um, he's the idiot that blows raspberries and giggles. Yeah. And uh, and he's the one that they can gently poke fun of as well. But also, he's the one who keeps the plot on track when everything yes. else has just gone to pot suddenly you've got this guy oh by the way back to the back to the story <laughs> what happened to the human test show funny. last night what was that the like? human test it was, it was quite funny because yeah, it was funny. They, um, the, the sketch was funny because they uh, such a little ball funny a little uh, uh, yeah. great right. you're very yeah, funny so you, you, yeah yeah no, no, you, you did a terrible thing though once you got this ass out you got a, a snake out yeah. and you said, shook it and What's that? <laughs> then they did this big dry, you see. It's <laughs> 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 quite a funny mix-up because they're such bad performers and they, they, they know how to do it. They were trying to put a... Well, Cleopatra was given old Jimmy Wheeler, especially Caesar, a snake, you see, who put down this idiot Mark Anthony's shirt. And he, he's got a kilt on, Mark Anthony. A kilt and a breastplate, you see. And he, they come up with the reason. We snakes around each other. And, uh, he said, um, something about, like, you're going to have, I'd like to impress you. 
None of us really, our generation, could possibly understand that forces humour. That positive. Mm. There, there is a lot of stuff that you think, oh, well, that's obviously. Well, I mean, one of the ones I was listening to today, like I say, was going on about uh, the army food, you know, and, and that must have really resonated with the audiences in the time of national service, but you know, only ten years after the war or whatever. But uh, it 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 amazes me because if you actually try and dismantle a goon show episode take it apart and you look at it and there's some there's some there's loads of giggles here there's some funny names there there's some catchphrases here there's some in jokes there's some one-liners and you try and put that back together again as, as a jigsaw puzzle it wouldn't work and yet as a whole it works beautifully and what you get are these incredible and again this is the thing that really interests me is uh, from the writing point of view you really get these incredible flights of fancy but you also get there is a kind of absurd logic to the narrative you know sometimes a show just stops it just look, that's it the show's over you know and of course you do find when you think later on i mean i know they, they say he's an influence but monty python you know graham chapman coming on and go this is all getting rather silly is basically the goon show well it's 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 also q5 the milligan series that hmm. uh, that came out a few months before uh, flying circus the q series that ends sketches with what are we going to do now walking or cast walking right. towards the camera you know uh with all just, without comedy noses on yes absolutely <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> slightly uh, uh crude looking comedy noses shall we say um one thing you mentioned you you, you mentioned forces humor and i do wonder whether uh, well obviously i mean it's a it's a stupid thing to say this but you know how different things would have been if the war hadn't happened in 1939 because just let's say the war hadn't happened then I think 1950s light entertainment would be a shadow of, oh, yeah. of what it what it was in terms of it would not have been what it became because because I think you know a lot of these guys Milligan well all of them Milligan Seacombe Sellers if, if there hadn't been a war they'd have drifted into what become solicitors clerks uh, it is know, weird isn't they, it they they wouldn't have they wouldn't have encountered uh, people from different backgrounds with different opinions different views on life they wouldn't have encountered the sort of coarse earthy humor that you get <laughs> when you're surrounded well by... yeah i must admit even today i was sort of i did a couple of sharp intakes of breath there are mem members of uh, other nationalities shall we say or other ethnic backgrounds that don't come in do particularly well out of the goons and mm. there, again sometimes some of the the jokes about women are a little bit difficult to hear now, yeah but uh... absolutely uh, that's right uh you have to obviously put it in its context. Yeah, and that's um, the thing. I mean, yes, it's in context, but also it's in context of that sort of army banter. You know? Yes, yeah. Uh, of, you know, and let's face it, a load of young blokes together in the desert, what else are they going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, you know, I do remember, there, there, is, there are two things I vividly remember. I remember buying uh, an LP called the laughing stock of the bbc which was a sampler lp and it was like one pound 99 in hmv about 40 years ago and it just had clips of radio shows on it and it had two clips it had the missing cd plates and napoleon's piano right uh, on it so i suspect that was my proper first again it's very difficult to take an extract from the goon show and make it make sense within a comedy mm -hmm. compilation it's, it's not like a sketch show it's not like uh 
you know you can you can put sort of the two Ronnies on an LP and the sketches are all separate or you can put um, not the line cut news on an LP and and just have it but but something like the goon show is, is a little bit more difficult to track down so I suspect that's part of one of the reasons why it, it didn't sort of turn up in clips as much as I expected it to well that's that's why my kind of bet noir of, of the goons universe is the ubiquitous clip of uh Blue Bottle and Eccles, the what mm. time is it Eccles mm. sequence, because that, and I've said this before till I'm blue in the face and, and, <laughs> and, and I get nasty emails and messages from people saying, um, jog on, but you know, that clip is always used whenever they, whenever there's a documentary or whatever on TV or radio mm. about the goons, they'll always trot that one out to illustrate goon humor. And, and I know, and, and I know why it is because it's a perfectly encapsulated little, uh, two or three minutes. Mm. Um, it's, it's a sketch. Basically, mm. it's, a, it's it's a self-contained sketch. Um, People want with... the Rabbit and Costello moment so they can play it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What time is it, Eggers? <laughs> I mean, Peter Sellers died in 1980, didn't he? Yes. Uh, so I was 16 years old when Peter Sellers died. Uh, my next birthday, my mum and dad got me this... Uh, Reader's Digest uh, set of well, they, uh, they actually are tapes. Uh, it was you know those big box sets that the Reader's Digest. I don't know if you remember. These I do. I mean, uh, did you ever do that thing where you got that CD of the month offer? I don't know the, the from you know, and you you got free five free CDs and then uh, but they end, you end up having to buy one a month for until you could well, have the deal. Did you I ever did do that? With a book club, I did. Yeah, same kind thing. of thing. Yeah, mm. and you and you and some months you're sitting there going. Oh God! I've, I, can't, I don't like any of these books. I don't like any of these. Oh, <laughs> and you end up with a very eclectic CD collection of things that gather dust, just because you still can't find a way of getting out of the the, the arrangement. But the thing about I always think this this is possibly with my dad. It, it was like every so often he got bullied into buying <laughs> another Reader's Digest. Uh, I don't know, classical collection, the Great uh, Barbarolli or whatever it was, you know, or, or Stereo <laughs> Spectacular. I've still got a couple of them on the shelf. They're, they're, I mean, I can't play them. I've got nothing to play them on. But I think maybe for my 17th birthday, this is the thing. I genuinely remember Peter Sellers dying. I remember this. It was actually one of those things that shocked me. Maybe I'd, hmm. I'd just I'd become interested in the thing. I did, I did buy the paperbacks of the... Uh, you know, when you couldn't buy videos of films, I used to buy the yeah. tie-in book. So yes. I've got a couple of the uh, the tie-in books for the Pink Panther films. So I was obviously interested, and I suspect this was just. It was. You always feel like this, that like, conversation that your mum and dad are having is, "What we're going to get him? What we're going to get him? He's seventeen years old. You can't buy him anything." Um, and the Reader's Digest come up and they say, "Oh, Peter Sellers collection. Well, he, he 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 got he got quite he got he talked about that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. We'll get him that. We'll get him that." And they've ordered me this, and I and I get this thing, and I and I unwrap it, and I'm thinking, "Oh, this is an interesting parcel." I'm thinking. Oh, Peter Sellers, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, because, I mean, you know, a couple of months later, I would have been, well, no, actually, I would have also been devastated by uh, John Lennon, because uh, that was about the same time as well, wasn't it? It was ironic, because they it had was. a connection. It's possibly not a connection most people immediately make, Peter Sellers and John Lennon, but there you go. No, but they also died in the same year. And it's just kind of weird like that. But so this, this uh, Reader's Digest collection had uh, f four tapes in it. Uh, the Many Voices of Peter Sellers, uh, which is lots of... Uh, Wonderful little abstract things like Ballum is on there, yeah. You know, uh -huh. and stuff stuff he did with Irene Handel, sketches, you know, proper yeah. sketches. Mm. Uh, you then get uh, the songs, so you get Goodness Gracious Me and and 
you know, suddenly it's folk song and all that kind of thing. And you think, oh, yeah, they're quite fun. You know, I'm, I'm 17 years old. I'm listening to pop tunes, but I'm, I'm, now, I'm now also listening to It's Been a Hard Day's Night. <laughs> you know, then you get the Goon Songs tape, you know, yep. which is uh, Blue Bottle Blues, Ying Tong and all that. And of course, then there's the Watergate thing. Oh, yeah. Mm. So actually, I, I mean, again, that's that thing where in later life you become interested in things like Watergate and uh, interested in Woodward and Bernstein and everything like that. But, you know, the, the thing is, a lot of that comes to me for the, some of the names I know from Peter Sellers doing Watergate. So you know, he's innocent of Watergate. He's innocent. I know Nixon <laughs> is innocent. So please don't let him go. <laughs> and that sticks in your brain. And that's well, the thing that fascinates me about, about that sort of comedy. It locks in there and it's there 40 years later. Not yeah. So when I got into them, into the goons in 88, mm. I spent the next two, three years just basically hoovering up everything and anything I could get that had a goon. If, if it wasn't goon show, it was mm. Sellers or Milligan or Seekham or whatever. Books, uh, tapes, LPs. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go to libraries and um, photocopy old newspapers, you know, from the archive, mm-hmm. which had all sorts of you know stuff like that. Um, but one of the LPs that I bought from a, an old junk shop was uh, Full Britannia. Right. Are you aware of that? Tell, tell me about it, guys. It, it, it's it, one of those things that I'll go, oh, you mean that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it was a, a, an LP that Sellers made with Anthony Newley and Joan Collins. Right. In, in 1963, it would have been, or 64, 63, 64. Okay. The premise of it, it's, it's a satirical LP that was recorded in i think it's new york somewhere like that i'm not quite sure i, I should have done my research but you know okay. well, uh, you didn't know it was going to come up did you <laughs> no <laughs> but but the I whole mean, lp is basically satirical sketches about the perfumo affair and right. so i must have heard this when i was 15 16 something okay. like that and i and i listened to it again and again because i had sellers doing his funny voices and you know voices that I was familiar with and it had, you know, it had some, some nice little gags here and there, but a lot of it was as, as with a lot of satire, certainly back then, you know, it, it's, it's, it's wry rather than funny, you know? Um, and also a lot of it was just completely over my head. In fact, most of it, I suppose, in terms of the the references they were making, because I had no real knowledge of John Profumo. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a few years later when I saw on video, the film Scandal, I don't know if you remember mm. Scandal, uh, a lot of that was, you know, hold on. Oh, right. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, it's the same thing with me and therapy like Kissinger, you know. <laughs> mm. I, I sort of got them through through some some daft old comedy thing that Peter Sellers did. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we learn our history. Maybe we learn history through comedy. I mean, that's possibly the way why stuff locks in the mind. I mean, we all remember Robert Mark because of a sketch on not the nine o'clock news, <laughs> Sir Robert Mark. You know? Yes. Oh, yeah. And um, and of course Proust. I first heard of Proust through Python. You see, yeah. <laughs> and John Paul Sartre. <laughs> John Paul bloody Sartre. Yeah. yeah. Again, the other the other um, the other interesting thing is the fourth tape is an episode of the Goon Show, which was the man who never was. Ah, classic. And the uh, interview from Parkin with Parkinson. Parkinson meets the Goons, nineteen seventy two. Which yeah. so again that would have built that interest with for me, you know, just listening to those really, and of course again it becomes more fascinating to me now because I'm just looking at that set and two things have crossed my mind is one, 
possibly my exposure to Milligan as well was because he was a very good guest on Parkinson quite often and I used to stay up very late to watch Parkinson on my black and white television in my, my room. What about, what about Mum? Because uh, she's still alive, isn't she? Mum's English, yes. I'm yeah. a ganglion, so it's a marvellous rage between the two of them all the time. They should talk to each other, uh, not listen. It's marvellous. Yeah, well, that's the most marriage, yeah. isn't it? That's what I based uh, Minnie, uh, Henry, uh, Henry Crown and Minnie Bannister on, this talking to each other, never listening. Ah, yeah, how are you doing, me? Hey, hey, you party, uh, but the other thing is, I was convinced that the last goon show of all was on that set, and it isn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I must have seen it about the same time. Now, I might have had a repeat in uh, sort of '82 or whatever, maybe mm. after Peter Sellers died. But, but I was I was very familiar with the last because again, the wonderful thing about the last goon show of all um, is that thing I was saying earlier about the narrative structure sometimes imploding. I've seen it a few... I've still tried to work out what's happening, and I think it's just three guys having a blast, quite frankly. Ah, uh, yeah, the plot of that is... Uh, Harry Seacombe is standing in for the Queen or something. <laughs> I've not... I must admit, you know, because I've... Again, you know, I've listened to... I, I was obsessed by the goons 30 mm. years ago, and I'm gradually sort of uh, re-immersing myself in that world. This podcast is... Is, is a big part of that, you know. Mm. But I must admit, I haven't listened to The Last Goon Shovel for, for many years, and I will be because it's the 50th anniversary next year. And ah. so so I will be doing a special show on that. But mm -hmm. um, but no, I mean, it's a bit of a mess all around that the Last Goon Show. Uh, it's different, though, isn't it? Because you've got television cameras in. Yeah. You've got an, an, a different kind of audience in. And I think basically you've got, well, at that stage, one international superstar... <laughs> Yes. And the other two guys, <laughs> who are also very well known in different ways, but possibly not quite, you know, and, you know, he's presumably flown in on Concord from, you know, his latest trophy wife or whatever. <laughs> I think he was between wives at that point. Oh. But, he, but he was also at a bit of a low ebb in terms of his career in 1972. Yeah. He, he'd been in a few stinkers, quite a few stinkers. Of course, yes. No, I was, I was thinking it was about the same time as Return Off, but it's not, is it? It's, no. uh, it's slightly before that, yes. Well, he was to make, I think he had, the year or two after this, he made The Great McGonagall with Milligan, yeah. which I don't know if you've seen that. And, I probably uh, saw it a long time ago, very late at night. I may have nodded off. He plays Queen Victoria briefly. Mm, yes, because um, well, I've definitely seen that. That's what right. I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then he went on to, he, he obviously realised he came back to Blake Edwards or Blake Edwards came back to him, but they both sort of came back to each other because I think both of them needed a hit. Yes. The interesting thing about that set is it also contained a copy of The Mask Behind the Mask, which is the Peter Evans book, which yes. isn't the most complimentary book from what mm. I remember. Mm. Um, but it is uh, it is interesting to me because when you think about that, 1972 or well, 74 uh, for The Return of the Pink Panther, six years is all he's got left. Yep. And that six years is incredibly prolific in many ways in terms of you know, but then when you think back, the the black and white films, really, the, the British films were made in a very, very short amount of time. When you think now, how long it takes to get a film made. and Oh, know, yeah. The, the, these periods of intense activity. So, you know, all these careers concertinaed into a really very small space of time. I mean, the, the tragedy of Sellers for me is, is always that, you know, he seemed to be on the on the brink of some new greatness. 
uh, you know, and and of course that was all cut short, you know. But mm. equally, maybe all the stuff, you know, all the stuff that you do hear about, you know, in in various uh, what people have written about him since, may, maybe the pressure of that, you know, maybe in some ways maybe he was well out of it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Do you think so, though? I mean, had had they all, you know, survived to be. No, seventy seventy five. Do you think there would have been a reunion? Oh, definitely. Because, well, the the reason that because Sellers died in London, mm. um, and he'd flown into because uh, he was living in Switzerland mm. at the end of the seventies, and he, he flew to London because the purpose of the the trip was to meet up with Harry and Spike, um, and also I think to change his will, right? Um, which to to change his will in favour of his children. Hmm. that's the story i think because the will that actually um oh this is the lynn frederick thing yeah so so the so the hmm. will the actual we'll have will, to cut now for legal reasons <laughs> yeah well we won't we won't go into that but basically no. he, he flew into london hmm. and he suffered his last heart attack and died but he was yeah a, a big one of the big sort of motivations for him was to meet up with spike and harry and because he was always looking back he was always really happiest when talking about the goons or um, you know, he always describes that period of, you know, the, the mm. 51 to 60 as the happiest time of his life. And yeah, I think, I think he, in correspondence with Spike, on calls with Spike, he'd sort of floated the idea towards the end of his life of doing a few more of them. Mm. Uh, and if, if he'd been a healthier man, if things had been different, if he, obviously if he hadn't died, <laughs> yeah, well, it would yes. be fascinating. But then you could say the same about Lennon. If Lennon hadn't died, would would the Beatles have reunited at uh, Live Aid? You know, that's the ah, that's the yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? What what if? The, the what kind if of question? Yes. And I, and you kind of think, yeah, if they had, because I, I I strongly suspect if Lennon hadn't died, and let's just say they had reunited at Live Aid, I don't think they would be held today in the same regard as they are. No, I think probably. I think the myth, I think the legend has grown since Lennon died. Certainly, I think that it, 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 one of the appalling, unfortunate truths is that sometimes to be taken too early, be it Sellers, be it Lennon, whatever, actually means you don't live to fall out of fashion or fall out yes. of favour, or or for the skeletons to come out of the cupboard, and uh, and actually you you can sort of just be there with an encapsulated thing because all your contemporaries all the people all, all the people who were coming behind you and, and loved what you did never get chance to go off you you know it's it's really you're it's there and it, it there's a full stop on it and you've always got that ah yes but what if the thing mm. that fascinates me again because like i say i coming right back to where we were you know because uh, I, I do I, I i i still devour stuff about uh, 50s uh, radio comedy and you know another book comes out about spike or about tony hancock or whoever you know that that thing about hancock stopping but hancock was already in a long period of decline and i think he's another comedian really who suddenly at the end of his life realizes that these were the golden years and you basically you know you you walked away from that and yeah. that's a very difficult thing to live with if you're still striving for further success and in the end of obviously you know in in both cases really neither of them sort of sort of managed to sort of make that enormous comeback or at least live to see the enormous comeback that you would you would you would have wished for both of them really mm. 
I also love the fact that uh, you know when Hancock had one of his hissy fits and disappeared off, it was it was see come they rang. I always find yeah. that I always find that fascinating because you can't really think of two more different performers. No. In many ways. <laughs> oh, he's a he's a bit portly. <laughs> He'll do. <laughs> Wasn't there, a, yes. wasn't there a suggestion that Seacombe would actually, if if Hancock hadn't come back, Seacombe would have been offered the role permanently? Did I, I read that, that? Possibly, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as up on... Hancock. I think that was what, should we say, that was what persuaded him to fly back and right. in rehearsal. <laughs> they were suggest, it was suggested to him that, well, maybe they might just replace him on a permanent basis because they were very impressed with, with, <laughs> with Harry's attitude and his performance. <laughs> what always astonishes me is that the Hancock radio series and the Goon Show radio series pretty much more or less run in parallel certainly mm -hmm. for most of their run yeah. not for all of it um, and they are they're, they're chalk and cheese you know you've got this zany wild incredibly off the wall universe and then Across the way, you've got the almost trying to become hyper-realistic Hancock style. I know it, it goes and has its flights of fantasy on radio as well. And and that astonishes me because they are so different but so popular in their own way. It's like, you know, these parallel, this, these two trains are going along the track together, you know, and they're, and they're sort of almost trying to overtake each other, but they're both going in the same direction into people's lives. And... Then you remind yourself that they were all being written in the same building, <laughs> yeah. in, in in the office up the corridor, basically. Well, and also, of course, Larry Stevens, who was key to the goons, he he, very close friends of Tony Hancock, and had written mm -hmm. early Hancock stuff. That's right. Uh, in fact, he'd written, I think, the was it when Hancock uh, appeared at the London Palladium for the first time. I think Larry wrote his uh, wrote his routine. Um, so well, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, you know, can't, I, I say I haven't got my Hancock books handy, but yes, that, that does. I, I, it certainly rings a bell. Yes, uh, it makes sense. Yeah. Would you say that there? Because you know, I'm a goon person. I'm not particularly Hancock mm. um, inclined, but would you say that a bit like you know the old, the old adage, you know, you're either a Beatles fan or a Stones fan. Mm. Do you think that applies to the goons and Hancock? Are you either are you one side or the other, or can you be both? If if it came to the crunch, I mean, I certainly have, I do have more Hancock episodes on, yeah. on the shelf. So I mean, but I, I wouldn't say that was particularly a a a deliberate choice. Um, it's possibly over the years I just found it more accessible, or I read a lot more about Hancock, and that sort of piques your interest. So you know, equally, you know, when you know, I pick up a spike book. I sort of think, well, yeah, I must get a bit more of that. You know, I, 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 th I, I'm just really intrigued by that sort of creative bubble. There was a, a lovely moment. I don't. I, you might not know. Um, I, I can't actually remember off the top of my head which episode it was, but I've been slowly but surely uh, trickling my way through Last of the Summer Wine over the last couple of years, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, I. I <laughs> Last of the Summer Wine is one of those things that that slightly throws me by the fact that all the stuff I remember as being quite late Last of the Summer Wine is all in the first third of its total run. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, it's Seymour left in, in one I watched a couple of weeks ago and I thought, 
Seymour was late, though, wasn't he? I realised we're not even at episode 90 yet. And But the thing was that there was a lovely moment um, in one episode I watched a couple of weeks ago where Peter Salis just made comment about the Goon Show. So that was that was quite nice, you know. How can you have confidence in people who didn't like the Goon Show? <laughs> just back on to Hancock, I wonder whether I never... Because I love, absolutely adore Steptoe and Son. It's probably my... Mm second or third favourite sitcom of all time, I mm. would say. And, of course, that's Goldman Simpson. Um, mm. Having said that, I'm not very keen on Casanova 73, which they also wrote. I, uh, I, <laughs> I have a real problem with uh, 70s uh, st- uh, Goldman Simpson. Yeah. There's, there's a there's a mini-series of Playhouses or something, and I, I haven't been able to get through it. They're just so... 70s i suppose fault of a better word yeah Maybe i just like my comedy in the 50s again by the time you get to the 70s as with the last game show of all there was it was you were given license to be a bit coarser and a bit more mm. sort of uh well it did that with the carry-on films as well didn't it yeah exactly exactly but also uh, i think i think you've also got that problem actually is that you know you're suddenly 20 years past your big hit mm-hmm. so you have to try a bit harder maybe to, oh yeah to still be mm. relevant you know with regards to Hancock, because I've often sort of tried to examine myself in terms of mm. examine myself. <laughs> sat there, sat well, there it's, very, it's very wise to do. <laughs> sat there with a jeweler's glass. Ah, yes. Into my <laughs> um, no, but I've tried, because I listened to Hancock's Half Hour, mm. and I've watched some of the TV episodes, and I've mm. tried, to, I've tried to, to get into it. I've tried. Mm. You, can, you know, you, you, try, you almost will Oh, yeah, you, you think, like I should it. like this. I yeah. should like this because... And I'm yeah. wondering, and I love Sid James, and I love Kenneth mm-hmm. Williams, mm-hmm. Uh, and all you know the the the, the rep round the comp- horn is is genius. Oh, oh absolutely, mm-hmm. and and the rep company that Hancock sort of built up, and then sort of mm-hmm. jettisoned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But but I was I I think a lot of it comes down to how you first are exposed to something, isn't it? Because oh, absolutely, yes. And when I was growing up, before I, before I discovered the Goons, um, I mean Hancock was big in in mm. New Zealand as well, but for some reason they'd always show clips on tv of mm. hancock when i was a kid um they never show the actual they never repeat the actual full shows but there'd be mm. clips i just when i say i discovered hancock I, I, again it, it, when we when i say about these things being in the zeitgeist or being bubbling under in my life freddie hancock's book came out which was a bit again another it wasn't the most complimentary it's a very slim volume but uh, when i was a student and I sort of, I was watching probably, it was probably breakfast time, it was probably that uh, Selena and Frank <laughs> era. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this book had, uh, this book was coming out and I'd not, had not heard of it, you know, and I thought, oh, Hancock, that's that comedian, isn't it? You know, and I went, I went across to the bookshop in town uh, where I was studying and, oh, they had got a copy and I read that and I devoured it. And again, I wanted to find out more about this man. And then I think sometimes it is just like lightning strikes at the right moment. Again, with it, with all sorts of things, if you hear something at the right moment, you can become a fan for life, or you see something at the right moment. You you can just it can trigger something in you, and you can just go, "I like this. I want to yeah. know more about this." And yeah. be it you know, whatever that is. I imagine it happens with football. I imagine it happens you know with uh, big popular tv shows that you know but you know people sort of go why do people buy magazines every month for that tv show and you go well because when they were a particular age it just got them and they and and it clung on and i think that's also the the truth of the comedy i mean you get people and you think why are they why are why is that person 
a big carry on film fan. You, it doesn't compute with the rest of their life or anything. And mm. yet the, it must have just got them at a moment. They must have, you know, one wet Sunday afternoon, it made them laugh. It made them happy. And I think that's what happens. The Hancock, a half hour, I think got about, they repeated about 10 of them around the time that book came out. And so they were on Sunday evening. I was by that stage, quote, a television fan. I liked old telly, you know. I've still never quite got to the bottom of when that began. But I, I'm starting to blame Coronation Street but because they, they had a 20th anniversary and they showed some 60s episodes. And I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I sat there and watched the five they showed over that week. And I thought, I, d I don't watch Coronation Street, but that was archive telly. So I watched it. Yes. And I think yeah. to a certain extent, that was probably the same with the, the, the Hancock repeats. It's it's just there were there, there were those episodes, uh, you know, the the, the um, uh, Radio Ham, the Bedsitter, the the uh, the lift you know all, all, i think they were all the ones but also a couple of the earlier ones that still exist like the bowmans you know yeah and it just it just triggered something in me and i thought yeah and so i went so but i my hancock the hancock i watched more well, hancock i was in, engaged with was the television hancock the radio hancock i knew about but i didn't really engage with it's a bit like cricket as well i watched test cricket on the television and I'm still appalled at how long it took me to discover TMS on the radio. <laughs> I can't believe how many years I watched cricket without knowing about the radio version. It That's just much special, boggles yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, it just boggles me that I didn't know about it. Or if I did know about it, I didn't re I didn't sort of think to tune in, you know. Because once I discovered it, it was just like, I, I, the television can be switched off now. I'm quite happy. I, <laughs> I found a world. And I think that sometimes happens with an audio world. Uh, quite a lot of Hancock is... Because it's domestic to a certain extent, it can be quite dated. And I must admit, I did a run-through of what survives of that a couple of years ago. And, you know, there are quite a lot of misses that you can think, yeah, I don't care if I ever hear that one again. There are some good ones. There are some. I, well, this is the thing, because as I was saying, I mean, I, I, they would, they would show clips. <clears throat> so I was exposed to all these clips, but possibly a relation used to play the LPs or something. I don't know, but I, I the, you know, the Magna Carta, did she die in vain line mm. and the very nearly an armful and, mm. and whatnot. And, I'd sort of seen those in isolation or heard those in isolation. And to me, and this is why I'm convinced I've got a, I've got a tin ear for comedy hmm. because I used to find the um, gentleman, you can't fight in here. This is the war room line from Dr. Strange. <laughs> yes. I used to find that a bit. Yeah. You know, it's a bit, you know, <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to think that was a bit obvious, a joke. I don't know why, but anyway, but I used to think that the Magna Carta line, particularly from Hancock, I, used to, I remember as a, what would I know at 10 years old? What would I know about? I didn't know the first thing, but I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit, uh, is that meant to be a joke? You know what I mean? It was like, oh, at the same time though, at the same time that I was being watching these or listening to these Hancock clips and not particularly finding them hmm. funny. And so, and so as a result, become conditioned not to particularly like Hancock. Yeah. Uh, oh, at the same time, I was watching the first series of, of The Black Adder, hmm. which was shown in, I think, 83, 84. And um, absolutely, I love that to this day. I think it's it's the, the second strongest series of Black Adder. Mm. And a lot of people would throw rotten fruit at me for saying that, but, you know, I, I stand by it. And and I remember what you said earlier about something just something just clicks. Mm. 
the episode where Edmund is uh, coerced into uh, an arranged marriage with the Spanish Infanta. Hmm. And you've got Jim Broadbent and Miriam Margulies. And I remember watching that and howling because it, I just thought it was the funniest thing. And it was just because he was, um, Jim Broadbent was doing a, a comedy Spanish accent. What is he like? <laughs> But that's that got me hooked with Blackadder. And, and the interesting thing about that is, of course, then they, they become a, a similar double act when they're Victoria and Albert. Yes. The Christmas one. That's, that, it. That, that, that's a lovely sort of parallel. The interesting thing to me about Blackadder, to a certain extent, is I think the third series particularly, I suddenly, when you would suddenly stop the action for him to go, oh, that's as cunning as a cunning in a cunning, cunning, cunning. And once the thing started becoming catchphrase i'm actually very resistant to the catchphrase it's weird and i think mm. it's just because i'm an anti-social person basically mm. i don't like that shared everybody everybody says oh you know <laughs> what, whatever del boy oh lovely jubbly or or loads of money or, oh shut up yeah shut up because yeah. i mean i had a friend and she was telling me uh once upon a time uh it sounds horrific to me <laughs> I mean, when when you talk about horrific, I mean, let's face it, you know, there are lots of horrific things that are far more horrific than this in the world. But uh, had to, as it was was on a um, one of those school coach trips or college coach trips, and coming back from the south of France, and there was a group of lads on the back who basically did Monty Python sketches for fifteen hours non-stop. Oh, ouch! And bouncing the lines back at each other. Now, for them, they probably had a ball. Oh, I imagine yeah. everybody else on the coach was going, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, because, you know, that the idea of, you know, poor old, I don't know, Tony Hancock str strutting down the street in London and someone going out, oh, Tony, nearly an armful, every time he walks past a building site or whatever. To me, that must just... It, I don't know, you know, when they say about comedians being miserable i can't imagine anything <laughs> daddy baker tells the story of when he was a teenager in the 70s <clears throat> walking with his mates somewhere in london and john cleese is on the other side of the road <laughs> and one of his mates shouts out it's old monty python there <sighs> and daddy baker says something inside him died he just thought oh god it's it's not 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 only is it massively inaccurate, <laughs> <laughs> which of course just just sets you off on some some terrible level. But you must it just oh for God's sake you know that thing where you go to a book signing and everybody in the queue says exactly the same thing to the guy and you just mm. and you mm. just think you must get to the point where the next person who says that I mean I know they they spoofed it brilliantly on uh, Father Ted about. Um, one foot in the grave. Yes, you know? great. You know? I don't believe it, <laughs> and you just think, "Oh, it must drive you insane." <laughs> I'm sure that uh, Richard Wilson, when he was doing scripts, he he must sort of even when he's doing Shakespeare, he must go, "I must check this doesn't have. Yes. I don't believe it anywhere." In it. <laughs> I'm going to rephrase William Shakespeare. Why? Because of this line. <laughs> That's a very good point, that. Yeah. Oh, dear me. Maybe that's the only reason they cast me. The bastards! <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that's got to do with the Goon Show, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we've, we've wandered well away from the Goon Show. Um, but hey, that, that, that exactly. It's what we predicted would happen, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
well, I'm hoping uh, it, it it made some sense what we were talking about today. It's, uh, yeah. I think I think we're going to have to kind of wrap up now yeah. because um, we well, can. Uh, something would... you can use in all that all that meandering nonsense. Anyway, oh, I That's can. I can. I, I think I can. I can pull together a, a workable ten minutes. Oh, that, well, I think. That's, good. that's more than I manage uh, usually. <laughs> um, but look, it's no, it's been a great, it's been great. We could talk for hours because we're just yakking, aren't we? Now that's that's what I love to do, and, uh, and and I think you do too. So, in terms of your your your, your radio show, the, the podcast, etc., do you want to just um, give a quick plug for those? Oh well, I, I think we did, did most of that earlier. But yes, it's uh, it basically uh, the show I do is called Vision on Sound. It goes out on Fab Radio International every Sunday at seven o'clock. Uh, UK time. I always have to say that because of the international part. And then, uh, and then we uh, put it out as a podcast straight afterwards. So obviously, because nobody uh, actually uh, listens to the radio at seven o'clock on a Sunday evening, I've found. But uh, the show yeah. is out there as a podcast afterwards. So, uh, and we just talk about old telly and uh, see where those conversations take us. As you may have gathered from what we've done in the last. Uh, hour it's very. So. I, I've listened to a few, and it's very good. And I'm not just saying. In fact, uh, you did Blackadder. Actually, you did Blackadder's Christmas Carol, didn't you? We did, in in a mm. way. <laughs> it was certainly it was certainly where we started. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Martin, thank you again, and uh, we we, uh, we will talk again soon. You take care. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next time, and until then, bye.